The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John 13. And I'm going to read to you the first 10 verses. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. This is God's holy word. If you've studied the Gospel of John, you know that there is a break between chapters 12 and 13. Sometimes chapters 1 through 12 are called the book of signs. Chapters 13 through the end is the book of Christ's passion. So everything speeds up in a sense, and everything slows down. It's all taking place right here around the period of Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And chapter 13 begins with the Thursday night of Passover. This is the Passover meal. He will Uh, that evening, go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be arrested, and then the following day he will be crucified. So really, verses 1, 2, and 3 introduce the major themes for the second part of John's gospel. And I just want you to look right here with me. Uh, Verse 1 of, of chapter 13 introduces the theme of Christ's love. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What does Christ's hour refer to? It refers to his crucifixion, doesn't it? You remember all the way back in Cana when his mother asked him to do that miracle? And he said, Mom, my hour is not yet here. He means the, the, the real hour of my ministry has not yet arrived, but now it has arrived. Now time is short. And so what Jesus is saying here, it, what John is saying about Jesus, is that Jesus then focused his attention specifically on his disciples. Chapter 12 ended, remember, with his message to the world, with his message to the Jews. But John said he ended by focusing on those whom he loved. And look at this language. It's really remarkable. He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is a specific, unique love that Christ has only for his own, only for his disciples, only for the elect, only for you if you are in Christ. And look at this remarkable language. He loves them to the end. The Greek word is telos. And you could translate that word to completion, to perfection, to the end. Think about that, will you, if you are a Christian, that Christ loves you to completion, to the end. No matter what you are going through, and thinking about this, I was thinking about what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but if you are in Christ, Christ loves you with a supernatural, eternal love that will never end. Christ's love for you is not a feeling, it's a reality. It's like gravity. You don't always know it's there. Sometimes you do when you try and slam dunk a ball. But it's always there for you in Christ. His love is present. So don't doubt his love. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Second, Look at verse 2. We're reminded of Christ's victory, that the cross is the victory over sin, death, and Satan himself. Look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. John adds this little note. We're reminded that there is a war going on. And remember, if you look back at verse 31 of chapter 12, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world, Satan, be cast out. The cross is a conflict in which Christ will be victorious, but it is a conflict nonetheless. And when you are in a conflict, 
The enemy hits back, doesn't he? Judas is Satan's counteroffensive. Remember after we landed at Normandy and Patton is, is, is going across Europe? What did the Germans do? They launched a counteroffensive, the Battle of the Bulge. Judas is Satan's left hook, all right? And, you know, you, you look at Judas, and, and this, this is a fascinating reality. From the outside, he looks like a disciple. Intellectually, throughout, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, that's why he hung in there for so long. He believed mentally in Jesus' Messiahship. But he never believed in the heart, as we will see. He never believed in the heart. And Satan took advantage of that. And he twisted Judas's heart against Christ. And that's why sometimes you'll see uh, some of the most ardent persecutors and opponents of Christianity were those who grew up in the church. Because they were surrounded by the things of God, but they never truly trusted in Christ. And then when they grow up, Satan uses that. He twists that. And they end up in opposition. That word, look at verse uh, 2 there at the end. That word betray. It's a Greek word, parodidomi. Parodidomi. It literally means to hand over, uh, to give over, to give up. It's used in John 18, verse 30, when the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, they hand over Jesus to Pilate. It's used in John 19, verse 16, when Pilate hands over Jesus to the soldiers to crucify him. But it's translated betray here because Jesus is being handed over by who? A friend, a friend, a disciple by a turncoat. There's something that is so bitter, isn't there, about betrayal. I mean, just, just by a show of hands, is anybody in here named Brutus? Is anybody named Benedict Arnold? You know, you, you don't see many big fans of Lando Calrissian in the whole Star Wars saga, do you? People don't like betrayers. And, and if you betray somebody, it, it's, it's like you live forever in a cloud of ignominy. And that's Judas. He's betraying the Lord. Satan uses him to betray the Lord. I was thinking about Psalm 55 this week, and it's most certainly fulfilled in Christ. Listen. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now listen. But you, O oh God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust you. So Judas betrays our Lord, and our Lord is ultimately vindicated. 
Our Lord ultimately conquers even through the betrayal, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Third theme that's introduced is in verse 3. Look at verse 3. And that's the theme of Christ's departure. That Christ's departure is now imminent. That Christ will die, he will be raised, and then he will ascend to the right hand of God the Father. He will leave his disciples. And this is a great source of discussion throughout the next few chapters that Christ is departing soon. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So the God the Father is giving him all authority. And Jesus, knowing that he had come from God, remember Jesus did not start to exist in Mary's womb. Jesus is the eternal Son of God from the beginning. And now Jesus, knowing that he was going back to God, knowing that the time is short, he begins to turn to his disciples and teach them. Have you ever been with a family member who was on a a terminal sentence and you knew every conversation with them might be your last? There's an urgency to tell you things whether it's about your family history, whether it's about instruction on how to live, there's an urgency when time is short, isn't there? And there's an urgency here with our Lord that he must impart to his disciples certain things quickly, very quickly. The time is short, and Jesus must impart to them vital truths. And one of these truths that he imparts to them in John chapter 13 is the importance of foot washing. The importance of foot washing. Now this is somewhat complicated to understand what Jesus is doing here and what this symbolizes. So I want you to stay with me this morning. Are you all ready? You're going to have to use your thinking caps. I want you to stay with me. What you need to know to understand foot washing first, let me give you a little background on spiritual washing, on spiritual washing, going back to the Old Testament, all right? There is a distinction in terms of the symbols of blood and water. A.W. Pink said, he used the terminology, the blood is always Godward. The water is always saintward. In other words, the blood involves our relationship with God. The water involves our own purification and cleansing. Let me give you some examples. First, the blood is always Godward. Listen to some of these verses. Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Who forgives sins? God does. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's not the blood that causes God to forgive. It's the taking of the life. The blood is symbolic of the life that is sacrificed in place of you for the sin. And the blood of Christ, 
serves as a judicial payment to God, his life for your life. Hebrews 9.12, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Romans 3.25, God put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood. Hebrews 10.14, for by a single offering, he, Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the blood satisfies the wrath of God on your behalf so that you can be reconciled to God. It's vertical. And that's why in the Christian life, when you sin, this, this is what John says in, in 1 John 1.7. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all sin. It, it, it brings forgiveness. Now, Christ paid for sins once and for all, but we're reminded of the fact that when we go to God and confess our sin, it's the blood that enables God to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's what the blood symbolizes. So the water is saint word. Let me explain that. The water represents the experiential cleansing of the body and the soul. So you need to be reminded that God needs to cleanse you. And so in the Old Testament, if you go read Numbers 19, in order to enter the tabernacle, or in order to participate in certain spiritual rites, you would have to be cleansed by water. You would have to be purified. When we were over in Israel, right outside the temple, they had excavated all these purification baths. And essentially what you would do if you wanted to go into the temple, when you arrived in Jerusalem, they had a bath. It was basically four or five feet deep. You would walk in one side. They had a railing right down the middle. You would walk in one. It was like a U-shape. You know, it was like a little conveyor belt. You walked in, and you came out the other side. And everybody would do that. And it symbolized the fact that you were being cleansed. You were being purified. And of course, that's a symbol of a spiritual reality, isn't it? And, and the classic text on this is Ezekiel 36. Listen, or jot this down. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. So the cleansing of the soul, which this water represents, gives you a new heart, purifies your heart, gives you new affections. And that's why Jesus in, in John 3, 5 says what? Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born of what? Water. Water in the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. You must have this cleansing of the heart. You must have new affections, new desires. 
So throughout the scriptures, you see this need for both blood and water. Think about it. Going back to Egypt, how did the children of Israel leave Egypt? First, there was the first Passover, right? You kill the lamb, and where do you put the blood? On the door and the, the lintel. They leave Egypt. Then what does God do? He baptizes them. That's what Paul says in the Red Sea. He cleans Egypt off of them. And he says, you're my people. That's what God always does. It's propitiation. The blood saves you from the wrath of God. The water purifies you from the sins of the world. You see that? Now, check this out. What does John record in John 19 when Jesus is crucified and the Roman soldier sticks the spear in the side of our Lord? What comes out? The blood and the water. The blood to propitiate the wrath of God, the water for the purification of sin. Okay, you tracking with that? Now let's look at verse 4. Now let's look at verse 4. And I just want you to save that in your memory bank, okay? Save that in your memory bank. Look at verse 4. And I want you to write next to verse 4 the word servant. The word servant. He rose from supper. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist So Jesus does something really remarkable right in the middle of dinner, right in the middle of dinner. This isn't before. This isn't right when they arrive for their Passover meal. This is something that Jesus does intentionally. This is not, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, you know, they showed up at the Last Supper, and in the middle of the meal, Jesus kind of looked around, and he saw that that nobody had decided to serve and that somebody needed to serve and he was going to take this opportunity to, to wash the disciples' feet. That's, this is not an accident. Remember, time is short and Jesus is wanting to focus on teaching his disciples certain important things. And this is most important what he's about to teach them. So he gets up in the middle of the mill and he does a costume change. He takes off his garments, and he puts on the garment of a slave. He takes off his outer garment, and he takes a towel, ties it around his waist, and basically, it's a visual statement to his disciples, I am going to serve you. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The entire mission of Christ on the cross, currently in his priesthood, is a mission of service. Verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So you can picture this. One by one, he goes to each of the disciples, washing their feet. I 
you know, you can imagine being there. I'm sure it was completely silent. I mean, this is stunning. They're shocked. And Peter probably says what they were all thinking. Right next to verse 6, the word wash. The word wash. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? He's confused. He's thinking this should be the other way around, right? We should be washing your feet. I mean, you're, you're the Lord. You're the Messiah. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Drummer Jesus will later tell the disciples that when I leave, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. There will be things that they would understand later that they didn't understand and couldn't understand in that moment in the crux of the crucifixion. Have you ever had those moments with your kids where you're, you're trying to teach them a, a geometry formula? Or you're trying to teach them about the, the you know, why there's three branches of, of government? Right? Why, why, why? Just trust me. There are. You just need to know it, and then when you're older, you'll, you'll understand what I'm telling you. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Look, just trust me here. Just, I just need to wash your feet. Just trust me. And, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is somewhat interesting. You know, Peter's, Peter's reaction, you will never wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. Now, let me give you some insight here. Let me give you some insight here. Let me give you a behind-the-curtain look. What, what is Jesus talking about, and what does he mean here by foot washing, and why is he telling Peter, trust me? Okay, you remember what the water represents? Cleansing, right, from sin. Okay, let's think about feet. Let's te- think about walking. In the Bible, your walk is representative of what? Your life. Your life. Think about this. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Deuteronomy 10, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways? Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 5.18, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So the problem that Christians, believers, that you and I encounter in the world, in our walks, as we walk through this sinful world where we are opposed by our own flesh, our own sin, and the devil himself, is that we sin. We walk away from God. We are prone to wonder, and the world rubs off on our feet. The world rubs off on our feet. So Jesus is saying, I need to cleanse you, believer, Peter. I need to cleanse you of your sin. Parenthetically, if you think about this, 
John chapter 12. What did Mary do with Jesus' feet there in Bethany? You remember? She anointed his feet. Jesus does not need his feet cleaned. Jesus never sinned. He was without sin, without blemish. He was perfect. Jesus' feet are anointed for what he's going to do. The disciples' feet are washed. The need is for our feet to be washed. Jesus' feet are anointed. All right. Verse 8. Right next to verse 8, the word share. This is, I mean, this is, you know, Peter is just so impulsive, right? At every step, you know, when Matthew 16, where Jesus takes his disciples aside, Peter has just confessed that the Lord is Christ, and Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you some insight here. I am going to go to Jerusalem, and I will be crucified for the people. I'm, I'm giving you some inside baseball. And you remember what Peter said? Lord, th- that can't happen. May it never be. That's not, that's not your destiny. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you oppose the will of God. Uh, this is a, a similar moment. I mean, look, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You could translate that word share. You have no part with me. You have, you, you're, you're not on my team if I do not wash you. To be on Christ's team, to have a part with Christ, you must be willing to be served by him. Salvation is not an individual effort, it's Christ's effort. It's Christ's work alone that will get you from here to heaven. If you try to earn it, if you try to do it, you will never get there. You will never get there. So this is a picture of salvation, isn't it? That in order for you to be saved, you must stop trying to earn God's favor and be willing to accept the free gift that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, that he served you by laying his life down on the cross for sinners. That's why Jesus says to Peter, look, if you're not willing to let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. You have no part. By the way, same word is used in Revelation 21, verse 8. John, you, John probably remembered this, used the same word. He said, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the, sex, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake. Their lot, their part, will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So let me ask you, is your part with our Lord? Have you humbled yourself and said, yes, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. There's no other way to heaven. It's Christ 
and Him alone. His service to you on your behalf. You must receive Him. You must receive Him. Not as a moral example, though He is. Not as a good teacher, though He is. You must receive Him as Lord and Savior. And that distinction right there makes all the difference, doesn't it? There's lots of people that are willing to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, but they want to receive him on their own terms. You must be willing to be washed in order to walk on the streets of gold. Next, verse 9. Right next to verse 9, the word bathe. The word bathe. I mean, look how the pendulum swings. Peter's like a grandfather clock. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So if being, having my feet washed means having a part with you, well, I want all of it. I want the whole part. I want to be completely clean by you. I want to be completely purified by you. I want everything. I want my mind cleansed. I want my hands cleansed. I want my feet cleansed. I want it all. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, verse 10, this is a very challenging verse to interpret. That's why I've gone through all this background with you, to get you to this point. So are you with me? Because right here is the whole point of this, of this whole foot washing. So if you miss verse 10, you're in the dark. Right here is what matters. What does Jesus mean when he talks about being bathed? What does he mean? Bathing is synonymous with regeneration and the new birth. One of the issues that you have to deal with, that God has to deal with in order to save us, is the problem of total depravity. It's the problem of the want to in your heart. It's the problem of the wrong affections that are present. And I'm talking about in our natural state. Before you become a Christian, you are born. Paul says in Romans 2, you're born with a conscience that innately knows the law of God. But you're born with misplaced affections that desired the wrong thing, to break the law of God. That's the real issue. I was listening to a, an old Willie Nelson song, and, and this is what he says. He says, I'll spend my whole paycheck on some old wreck, and brother, I can name you a few. Well, I got to get drunk, and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. You know what that sounded like to me? It sounded like Paul in Romans 7. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's the life of the unbeliever, isn't it? Think about your unconverted life. I watched this documentary, I can talk about this because I'm an Aggie, on Johnny Manziel. My goodness. He had so many people telling him, hey, just do this. And, and there's a quote in the documentary, he said, I didn't live for the game, I lived for the party. I didn't live for the game, I lived for the party. He couldn't, for the life of him, quit partying even to save his career. Once I was up in Cleveland, and I was, Alistair told me this story, Alistair Begg told me this story, and he, he said, a guy showed up at Parkside Church, and he said, who are you? He said, I'm one of Johnny Manziel's coaches from high school coaches from back in Texas. The Browns have hired me to try to keep him in line. No kidding. And then three weeks later, he came back to Alistair and he said, hey, I'm moving back to Texas. He just won't listen. He just won't listen. I, I know that's an, an extreme example, but that is, that is the, the depraved life of an unbeliever. You do the things that you don't want to do. Solomon describes the unbeliever. This is Proverbs 26, 11. He says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. I once heard Tommy Nelson say, dogs return to their vomit because that's what dogs do. They're dogs. Cats kill mice, and dogs return to their vomit. His point is, unbelievers sin because what? That's what unbelievers do. They're depraved. That's what the fool is. And so it doesn't matter how many self-help books you get at Barnes and Noble. You can't fix that. Do you get that? You don't fix that with study. You don't fix that with a TED Talk. You don't fix that by re-educating people. You fix that with regeneration. It's the new life in Christ. That's what fixes what is broken in your heart. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, listen, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He cleanses you on the inside. He does an inside workaround game. How does God do this? Remember the water, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. How does God do this? Well, Ephesians 5.26, jot this verse down. Paul says that Christ sanctifies the church having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Christ brings about the new birth. Christ cleanses the heart. Christ regenerates you. Christ gives you the bath, if you will, through the word of God. 
And the apostles, this made an indelible impression on them. James says, James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth, he regenerated us by the word of truth. Peter says, 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, you've been regenerated, of per- not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So you are born again, you are bathed, you are cleaned as you are regenerated through the word of God. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The word has power, and it brings about the regeneration of the heart. That's why you can talk to people, and they say, yeah, I was just going about my life, and then something happened. Somebody brought a, you know, somebody brought a track to me. Somebody shared the four spiritual laws to me. I heard the word, and what? I was changed. I was changed, and that change came from above, right? John 3, 3, you must be born from above, anothen. You must be born again. Now, look back at verse 10. Look back at verse 10. The one who is bathed, or the one who has bathed, so the one who has been regenerated does not need to wash. Here's what he's saying. Once you're born again, you cannot be unborn again. Once the Holy Spirit begins to live inside you, he's always going to dwell inside you. You're only born again one time. It's only once. Once you are washed, you are bathed. And that's why he says at the end of verse 10, look, and you are clean, talking to the disciples, but not every one of you. Verse 11, he says, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. What's he saying? There's one guy here who's not regenerated. There's one guy here who's not born again, and that's Judas. But you all, you are born again. You've been regenerated. You are clean. So what is the foot washing then? The foot washing represents the continual confession, repentance, and purification that is ongoing in the life of the Christian. Here's what this means for you and me is that there is a daily, last I checked, need for foot washing. That as we go through this world, we need our feet washed. And how does Christ wash your feet? The same way he regenerates you, through the word of God. As you encounter the Word of God, you are convicted. You are encouraged. You are brought to confession. You are brought to repentance. Jesus will say in John 17, he says, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. My Word is truth. You are to be sanctified. You are to be cleansed. You are to be purified through the Word of God. And sometimes in the Christian life, if you 
are outside of the realm of the Word of God, you will enter a spiritual desert. A spiritual desert. My freshman year at A&M was like this. I was in the Corps of Cadets at A&M, which as a freshman, you're called a fish. You don't even have a first name. I went by Fish Castleberry for a year. <laughs> it, it, it was a spiritual desert because every morning we're up at 5.30 getting yelled at, doing push-ups. And then we go to class, and then at 4 p.m., it's all over again, all the way until 10 p.m. It was like there was no time to be under the Word of God. And then on Sundays, I would go to church, and I would walk across campus to Grace Bible Church with my roommate. We, we had to call our roommates at A&M in the core old ladies. But walked across to Grace Bible Church, and I w- we would sit there. And it turned out later we found out that the, the pastor was living immorally the whole year and would later resign the pastor, basically leave the ministry. But we would sit there. We'd be like, we're getting nothing from this. We were so parched. We were so dry. It, it, was, it was such a challenging year. I would go to a philosophy class. I sat next to a guy named Jimmy Needham who ended up becoming a Christian singer. And I, I would literally just be sitting there, and, and I knew I would fall asleep because I was so tired. And I would literally just tap him when I was about to fall asleep, just take notes for me, I'm gone, I'm out, I'm gone. Just take notes. That, that was my freshman year. And I, and I remember, uh, right after freshman year ended, my grandparents took, uh, took me up to our lake house in Wisconsin, and I just sat, they, they were up, up in, the, in the, the front seats, I just sat on the, on the middle bench seat, and I read the Bible the whole way up. And it was like the Lord was just cleansing me. And then we got up there, and there was this little country pastor, faithful, Cable, Wisconsin, just teaching the Word of God. And it was like I'd entered a spiritual oasis where Christ was ministering to my heart. So here's the important thing. Three quick application points. You need to be daily in the Word of God. Not for academic reasons, but so that Christ can cleanse you, purify you, wash your feet, convict you of sin, conform you to the standard of righteousness, And second, you need, wherever you go in life, you need to be in a church under the faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Because when you go to church and the Word is read, as we read earlier, and the Word is proclaimed, Christ Himself deals with you. Where two or three are gathered, there I am. He deals with you and He washes your feet. And third, you need to be humble enough to confess your sin and repent and say, I am going to follow Christ all the way to the end. I'm going to do it 
Christ's way. You need your feet washed. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.